Hey, you guys. <clears throat> Welcome to church in the backyard tonight. My name is Matt Moberg. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, why, if you give me a s'more as soon as possible, that would be ideal. I want to read you a text in a moment here. Um, so some of you guys were with us the other night. I did a, a panel with Tim Harrison, Rooftop, and in that space, I had the chance to share a story that I hadn't shared with our community in a little while. And it's honestly one of my more embarrassing moments, but it, it's been profitable for me and for others to look back on and actually gain something from it. So allow me to take you back to the days of your November 2015. November 2015 is when I personally first started to engage with this conversation around racial inequity in the city of Minneapolis and all the disparities at hand. And it was brought to a focus with uh, and when Jamar Clark was killed in November of 2015. Following his death at the hands of Minneapolis police, and I apologize for the gale force winds that we are experiencing. <laughs> Debbie, I don't know what's going on with your hair right now, but it just all went straight into the air. Wow. <laughs> When Jamar Clark was killed in November of 2015, the, the leaders in North Minneapolis got together and held the occupation at the 4th Precinct for 18 days. And I've said this in our context so many different times, but it was one of the most beautiful examples of what community, the beloved community, actually looks like. People serving one another, feeding one another, being in each other's corners. It was, it was, it was incredible. It was inspiring. And what was unfortunate, however, is that in that moment, in those 18 days, there was one night where a group of white supremacists came down towards the 4th Precinct in the back of a pickup truck and fired shots at the crowd. Now, thank God there wasn't any massive like damage. There wasn't lives lost, but there were shots fired in the crowd, and, and it was traumatizing. It was ter terrifying. Terrifying. <laughs> terrifying. Is that even a word? It's terrifying. It's not terrible. Terrible. It, well, it was terrible, though, too. It was, it was a scary thing. Now, I had been there in the 18-day span. I had been there a good amount of nights. I felt like I needed to be there a good amount of nights, but I wasn't there on that particular night. In fact, that night I was at, at my house and I was sleeping, and I woke up the next morning with about 50 or 60 texts from different people, not asking, like, were you at the 4th Precinct last night, but asking instead, were you the person that pulled the trigger last night? I didn't know why they were asking, but I would soon find out that Sean King, who has, I'll give or take like 1.2 million followers on Twitter, tweeted out my photo to his following and said, has anybody seen this man? Because I think that he was the one responsible for last night's horror. So I started to panic and I started to get like very angry because I felt like I was, I was woke. You know, I mean, I was engaged. I was reading Ta-Nehisi Coates. I had roots saved on the D DVR. I had the Black Lives Matter shirt. I had been down at the 4th Precinct, fists in the air, screaming alongside brothers and sisters. I was shocked that they would accuse somebody like me. And, and I was honestly like just a hot mess panicking. And so I called a friend of mine, the incredible pastor, D. McIntosh, and I said, can you help me fix this problem? Because I don't know what to do right now. Um, and D., being like the pastor of all pastors that she is, she kind of like held my hand through that moment. I was asking a black woman to do this emotional labor on top of everything else she was going through right there, which that didn't even register till later. But um, D was there for me and D started to talk to me and it was helpful. Like her compassionate tone, her assistance, it was, it was everything I needed in that moment and yet the anger still persisted. And it got to the point where even though D was charting a path forward that was clear and I knew everything would, would shake out just fine, 
I was so angry that I said to her, I said, D, how can people suspect that I'm the one who did this just because of the way that I look? And in the middle of that conversation, it was the first time there was like this noticeable gap of silence where she almost just made space for me to register like, yeah, I wonder what that's like. I had to go through this moment after the aftermath of that where I started to think a lot about um, the audacity of the young progressive activist out there who thinks he's woke and is ready to dismantle white supremacy and yet hasn't done a thing about the white supremacy in me, hasn't done any kind of internal work, is trying to bring people to a place that I myself had not yet gone to. When I think about that moment, I think about it speaks for me in this moment for us as a predominantly white church. A, a church too, you guys, like, side note, I was meeting with somebody last week who is a journalist, and she said that she has spoken to multiple people in the community. And one of the questions that she's asked people is, do you know any white churches that are, that are doing active um, engagement with this topic of dismantling white supremacy and creating a more equitable future. And she said that on two separate occasions she heard from the table. And so I am so proud of our community. I'm proud that we are doing the work that we are doing. I know that we have a lot of work still to do, but I'm grateful that we are a community that is in the game. My concern is that we are going to be convinced that we are already woke and we're going to miss out on how much waking up we still have to do. And so what I want to do is bring you to a text that just jumped out to me because I think that for me, this blind man in Mark 8 has been like this icon for us in a moment like this. Somebody whose who's very experience is edifying for us today. And so if you have your Bibles, go to Mark 8. I just want to read a text to you and I'll show you a little bit what I mean, or at least what jumped out to me this morning in other spots. The text is in Mark 8, 22, and I don't know how far we'll get, but we'll start in 22. It's stories of Jesus coming into a town, and it says this. They came to a city called Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Now, let me pause real quickly. The word for beg there is perikaleos, which is a word that is the sound of starvation. The man is at his, this, he's at the end of his rope. Like he is in a situation that he doesn't know if he has much left in the tank to keep pushing forward. This is last chance, the Hail Mary pass. So it sets the tone early on in the story that this is a moment of pure desperation. What's Jesus going to do in a crisis like this? The blind man is brought with some friends. The friends bring him to Jesus and they're begging him, please, can you just touch him and make the problem go away? But here's what it says in 823 that just I think is striking. This is one of the challenges, I think, when we look at these texts to actually hear what the text has to say and be okay with going like, what? Like that? That's not ex the text says in 823 that he took the blind man by the hand and led him out. He took him by the hand. The problem, though, was with the eyes. The man was blind. He could not see. If Jesus is all that, that we believed he to be, like you would think it'd be an immediate download of the cure on the spot and that the eyes would be open and all would be well. But it says that he doesn't lay his hands on the blind man's eyes. He takes the blind man by the hand and he leads him to a quiet place outside of the village, outside of the echo chamber, outside of the, the, the crowd that you look to when you log on to Facebook that you know are going to agree with everything you say. He takes him outside of the village to actually put his hands on top of his eyes. And when he gets him outside of the village, he spits on his eyes and he lays his hands on him. And then he asks him this question. 
Do you see anything? Now, this is the thing I want us to hear. This is the thing that I, I'm hearing. This is the thing I want Debbie to hear. Just kidding. But Jesus asked him this question. This blind man is asking help to see, like many of us today are asking help to see. Help us to understand what has been going on, not just the past two weeks, but the past 400 years. Help us to understand the levels of systemic oppression that our brothers and sisters are living inside of today. Help us to see fully what's going on. Jesus says, I just took you outside the village. I led you by the hand. I laid my hands on your eyes. I spit on them. All should be well. Tell me now, did it work? Like, do, tell me what you see. But the man has the audacity and the courage and the conviction and the character to look up at Jesus and say, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Do you know how refreshing it would be if more people would recognize that the moment that they become aware of something is not the same time as the moment that they arrive in a full awareness. That they are always waking, but they're never woke. That just because you have had somebody lay their hands onto your eyes and offer up a cure, it doesn't mean that you can suddenly see. If we had the conviction to, to recognize, like, I'm seeing a glimpse right now, but I'm actually seeing how much further I still have to go. In this man's cry, right after Jesus lays a cure on top of his eyes, he says that awareness is not a rival. I know that I'm supposed to see people, but if I can be honest with you, right now I just see trees. In this space, in this season, if we're actually going to lead to a place of, of a cure where our eyes are well and our hands are healing, we need to have the courage and the honesty to say that we don't get it, that we're not there yet, that we need to sit down and be humble that we need to actually receive what's going on. Lauren, I was just listening to, um, what's uh, the girl that we love? Lauren Hill. What is the line in her song, the doo-wop? Uh, How you gonna win if you ain't right within? How you gonna win? That's honestly what I hear every time I read this text right now, because how are you actually going to win if you ain't right within? How are you actually going to provide something that you yourself haven't had provided for you? The man can't see, and so he's not going to pretend as if he is. He's going to enter into the conversation with Jesus with his integrity intact and say, this is what I can see so far, and I know I have a ways to go. If he had the audacity to be the person of arrival, even though he's at the elementary level of awareness, he wouldn't have made it all the way to healing. If he would have turned to Jesus and said, actually, you know what, I can see, yeah, there's, that's Jeff right there with the beard and Christian with the black shorts. Like, I can see actually with HD full clarity. Instead, he says, no, I don't have a full I'm not there yet. I have space to go. Can you take me further? In the good news of the gospel, again and again, it says that Jesus says to him, he, Jesus lays his hands on his eyes again. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like that's, that, is the, uh, that is the good news of the gospel, is that you do not have to have a perfect track record. You don't have to have one chance and you either swing and you miss. You have you are a work in progress. God does not always bring things to our full awareness immediately, but God does lead us incrementally. And when we want him to lay his hands on our eyes and bring us to full sight, he often starts with taking our hands inside of his and walking us to a better place. So here's what I want to extend to you. And then Debbie chime in. One of the most dangerous things I think about this moment that we are in, for people who are so well-intentioned and good-hearted and so ready to end 400 years of oppression and racism in the span of 14 days it's going to take some time 
I remember that conversation with D and remembering how much I, how much further I still had to go. If this moment is going to actually turn into a movement and last beyond this time, we're going to need people who sit down, be humble, are leaning in as learners, and are loving fully with the humility that lifts up others instead of themselves. Debbie, chime in. Come in over here. Does that make sense? So you know what I'm saying from that Mark 8 text? This makes sense. Perfect sense, and the only thing I was going to add to it, which I think really goes beautifully with what you said, is this: is that if you look at the whole context, like in many ways, that story about the blind man is a metaphor for the disciples. Like the disciples think they're woke, right? Yeah. Like they think, but really, I love hearing Debbie say <laughs> yeah. woke. <laughs> I learned it from you. The, the, despite, the disciples think they have arrived. They think they get yeah. who Jesus gets. But what Jesus gets is they don't get it, right? Yeah. He keeps saying, prior to that, who do you think I am? And they've already just witnessed him. Feeding 4,000 people. Chapters before that, feeding 5,000 people. But the disciples, again and again, don't fully understand who Jesus is. Yeah. They haven't arrived. They haven't got it. And I think that this story is sort of a metaphor for that as well, that... Um, they don't see clearly. They yeah. don't, they're spiritually, they are not seeing clearly and they really don't until the cross, which is, I think, a, a beautiful part of the story. So I, I completely agree with you that I think, again, it goes back to the whole justice, kindness, and humility, that that's what humility is, is understanding that we will never arrive on this side of heaven, right? We're never going to arrive. But part of the life of faith is just keep stepping forward, keep growing, keep moving. And what I think about, Matt, is our trip to Sankofa. Yeah. So years ago, Matt and I and a group of table oh folks gosh, a good point. went yeah. to Sankofa. And, you know, Sankofa, that word Talk that, about Doc Nielsen. Oh, that's exactly what I was going to talk about. Yeah. That Sankofa is that that whole thing means, and you jump in here, but it's about looking backwards so you can move forward. And it's, it's really this beautiful thing. So we went on this trip. Uh, a civil right through the civil rights sort of movement down south and we were paired with um, people uh, of color that were different than us for the whole trip we sat with like I sat with my friend Kia and we shared hotel rooms and and we did that but I just remember um, Chris Nielsen who for you that don't know him is no longer with us but this has just left this huge imprint on who we are as a community and people of faith but someone who was so much further along than I was in whatever. And um, I'll never forget, we were asked to stand up after some of the places we saw and documentaries we watched. And Chris stood up at the mic on the bus. Do you remember that moment? Yeah, totally. And he just wept. He just wept as he took, I would say, and you jump in, another step in being woke. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he just... It just sunk in like the white privilege and and the complicity that we all have being part of this racist system and i and i will say steve and i have had a lot of conversations about this because we know we're not near woke <laughs> why well, you keep going back to that well <laughs> <laughs> we are waking we are waking so anyway jump in on that question's about to puke over there <laughs> we're, we're such a hip and relevant church <laughs> Hey, we're not your grandmother's church. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We are real, though. We are real Christian, and that's what counts. <laughs> what? Why, thank you, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. So she didn't love it when it was just me talking loud and clear. <laughs> Christian said it gets long. It does. Yeah, we heard we're what Christian used to said. It. But, um... What, when I think about Sankofa, because I think that's 
a really important part of evolving. You know, yeah. what comes to mind for you? Because that, that trip, you guys, and part of evolving, let me just say this before Matt jumps in, it's hard work. I mean, that was a painful trip. It was uncomfortable. It was a lot of tears. There was a lot of aha moments that weren't good aha moments. Um, yeah. But it was an important trip. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, so I came to the faith under Ephraim Smith. I came to faith when I actually first started reading Dr. King's work and realizing, oh, Jesus matters in this world. Like, it's not just like some mm -hmm. <laughs> emotional pep talk that you just go back to every Sunday. Like, mm -hmm. Jesus actually is in, intending on bringing the kingdom of God, and it does not look like our kingdoms here. And so I went into that trip, like, with my Kingian philosophy and his papers in my mind, and they all started to go away. <laughs> real yeah. quickly because there's something about that that trip in particular when you go to Birmingham when you go to Memphis when you go to these different spaces when you walk the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma and you hear your partner Juan's voice like start to stagger a little bit there is something beyond even articulation that is inside of the tone that makes you realize that you you don't get it yeah. like you just don't get it you might be able to rattle off stats but I just don't care mm -hmm. I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how clever your, your posts are. I, I, just, I just don't care. Like, you don't get it. You just don't get it. Until you've actually sat with somebody who, who George Floyd is not a hashtag, but a brother that was lost, and they can't talk about them without, without losing their breath and their eyes filling with waters. You just don't get it. Like, and this has been happening. It's, it, this has been happening for so long. And, and I'm not even – I'm talking about the 400 years, but I'm talking – Specific, like we've talked before, like theology has to be local or it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> like if the church is abstract, then it's like, well, we're the, it's honestly like a little bit. And this is actually, no, never mind. I don't want to go this wrong. Never mind. <laughs> okay. Could you just rewind it really quick? <laughs> but it's a little bit, um, theology has to be local. Like if it's not actually, um, informed by the loss of breath of brothers and sisters and if it's not actually informed by not just george floyd but but thurman blevins and jamar clark and philando castile and what has been happening the 67 riots in downtown many i mean like you could talk, we could go on and on about the minneapolis police and the history with with the black community and and the complicity of the white community that surrounds it and i think it's important to know those things i think it's really important to know those things but you can't stop there right this is why it's again like the 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 myth of awareness equating to arrival is so dangerous mm -hmm. because it oh, makes gosh. you feel like I am now ready to turn around and climb this high horse and tell everybody else. It's, it's, there's, a, um, there's a sociologist who once said that it's, she goes, it seems to me that the main message that white people gathered from the civil rights movement in the 60s was that it's very important to prove to others in public that you're not racist. <laughs> Like, honestly, I don't care. Like, I, yeah. I, I care that you're racist, but I care a lot more about whether or not you're doing anything about racism. Right. Like, like whether you're uh, racist policies that, are, policies that are perpetuating disparities and inequities. But, like, this, this game of – maybe this is what I'm speaking to, like, when we're talking about this. Because I've been this. I'm speaking from the place of I've been this guy, and I cringe thinking about it. It is not helpful to climb the high horse on social media or mm -hmm. in other spaces and point fingers as if you get it. Because it's, it's not, it's just, it's, you're the only one who's gaining from that. Like right. you're, you are so busy proving to other people how non-racist you are, but I, do something about the racism. 
let's talk about like why are things the way they are why are our resources being stewarded the way that they are that's the stuff that matters i need we need to all do the internal work yeah but it's not for the sake of self-gain and all of a sudden being exempt from the history of white supremacy that's not how this right. works rant over do we want christian to come sing no. now or <laughs> yeah well i i'll just i'll end with this you guys because i think i think matt's right it's the awareness piece is actually just the beginning yeah. <laughs> and everything that comes after is really really hard and it's really hard work and it and it calls for um not only naming it and claiming it but actually moving <laughs> doing and i think that's our hope as a community and we talk a lot about that as a team is like okay yeah, we are fortunate that we have a community that has been doing some of this work, but now what? It, it, this, is, this is the beginning, friends. I mean, that's the thing I think about is this is the beginning. And I think the other piece of this, and we heard this on this call we were on the other day, is you got to name it, but you also have to have a vision that yeah. brings hope for a future where this will be a safe place where all people can thrive. Yeah. And so that's what we're going to be about as a church is creating a vision for what that looks like and being part of that moving forward. And we don't have the answers to that. And honestly, you guys, there'd be a red flag to me if you know, there were a couple of white pastors that had the answers for this is what we're going to do. We have the silver bullet up our <laughs> sleeves, actually. We're really excited to present it to you tonight. But, but we don't. So, um, yeah, we'll keep, we'll keep in this together and keep talking. And um, I think this would be a good time to, unless you have something else to say, to move to just, words of institution. I just want to jump on that real quick because I think what you're saying is really quick is, is the Proverbs that without a vision, the people perish. And I do think like for us as a community and us as individuals, but more importantly, us as a city, we, we need to be able to see very clearly. And if we keep pretending that, that we are seeing people, even though we're only staring at trees mm -hmm. right now, we're never going to make it to full clarity. And that's, I think, where that text speaks volumes into where we are, is the humility to recognize what you do not understand and still be pragmatic and functional at what you do. Yeah. Amen.